You know, at, at one point, the BBC threatened to ban any artist who would send them the records of the Beatles. Went, okay, ban us. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> go, Aaron, go ahead. Can I go ahead. can I interrupt for a sec? Of course. I'm shocked that the BBC would ban a musician. <laughs> <laughs> That's a <laughs> recurring theme on our show, folks. Hi there, and welcome to the Wayback Music Machine podcast. This is the show that takes a lighthearted look at the week that was in rock and roll history. I'm Tony Stewart, and I'm here with... Aaron Badgley. And Aaron, of course, this podcast episode is airing during the week of December the 8th and what happened on the 8th of December is unavoidable but we're going to try to not you know really dwell on that too much we're going to you know more pay tribute to John in this episode and hopefully do like we did when we talked about George Harrison's passing last week you remember we laughed a lot and I'm hoping we can do uh, some of the same today don't you think? Yeah, I hope so too. And, I, I, and, and as you say, we can't get around the fact that December eighth is a you know terrible anniversary. But you know what? Lennon was a really funny guy, and some of the stories we have are really kind of interesting. And and they're not all based on that event. No, exactly. So we are doing an all Beatles show today, and this is episode seventy eight. So hold on to your hats and buckle up because here we go. So like it or not, any podcast or radio show that talks about rock and roll is going to be talking about the events of December 8th, 1980, just the same way that when August the 16th rolls around, they're going to be talking about August 16th, 1977, the day that Elvis Presley died. And of course, on the 8th of December, we lost John Lennon. And that was when we realized that, you know, the Beatles were not going to be around forever. I think everybody just took that for granted, didn't they? Yeah, and I think the other thing, you know, was that here was a guy that was at the prime of his health, and he was making a comeback, and he'd been away for five years. And you know, you and I have talked about this. He was really comfortable with who he was. He kind of had made friends with his history, his past, and it was snatched away from him, not because of drugs or alcohol or, or cancer. It was He was senselessly murdered by a loser. You know, that's, I think that that also made us grow up really quick because I was in high school and we had to face the fact that people can just be walking home and shot like that, you know? Yeah, exactly. And one of the rules we have on this show is we never mention uh, the killer's name. Uh, We're not going to give him that satisfaction, but it was uh, tragic for sure. And like the end of an era, uh, the end of innocence, because it was very different from the way that Elvis Presley died, you know? But I think today though, We've got some great Beatles stories lined up, and and I think it'll be a really fitting tribute. Well, one of the stories we have is about an album called Band on the Run. And what's interesting about Band on the Run is there's a song on it called Let Me Roll It, where McCartney very lovingly pokes a little fun at how John would sing. And if you listen to Let Me Roll It, it's a great song, by the way, but it's a wee bit John Lennon, John Lennon-ish. McCarty even copped to that later on. It kind of went, yeah, it's kind of, you know, poking the bear a bit with that song. Lennon loved it. And uh, it's a great song. McCarty still performs it live, but do you know the song, Let Me Roll It? I do, I do, yeah. 
and the, and the slight echo on his voice and the you know the 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 sound effects he makes band on the run is an album tony that i think we've all forgotten about but it was a big album in 74 I and mean, it came out december uh december 5th 1973 but it really became a big album in the first well actually all of 74 do you remember how big that album was or are you far too young well i mean i was in 74 you're gonna be, you're gonna hate this because i was only <laughs> i was only five years old so looking back in hindsight i realize how big this album was and but you heard songs from this album everywhere it was just massive I got to say, when you, when you talk about being five, do you know the, the funny story about McCartney talking about George Harrison? No, George Harrison was talking about McCartney and George said, um, well, Paul was a year and a half older than me and still is. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Again, like we said last week, that's typical Harrison humor, isn't it? <laughs> it is. With this album, Band on the Run, I mean, you look at the success of it, it, it was clearly one of his, if not, I think it's McCartney's biggest selling album. It made number one on three separate occasions in the year of 1974. It sold millions and millions of copies worldwide, number one worldwide, and universal praise for, I mean, and I, I, I mean, I understand because there's not a weak track on the album. No. Um, I, I love Jet. That's my favorite song on the album. Yeah, that is now, a great do, song. What, yeah. yeah well, what's Jet? your favorite? Jet would be right up there. I love Band on the Run too. I mean, it's it's just an excellent album all around. But you know, I love the fact that it was uh, recorded in Nigeria. So that there's a very cool factoid for our listeners because they may not have have known that. Well, and, and how they came to record in Nigeria is that McCartney wanted to record somewhere other than London, so he got a list of all the EMI studios that he could use. And there was one in Nigeria. And he tells this great story where they got to Nigeria and they were building it. <laughs> <laughs> and they're like, do you want a window between the studio and the control room? And Paul's like, yeah, that'd be a good idea. <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> and and you know, the, the, the funny story about this uh, whole album was that the day before they're, they're going to go to Nigeria, two of the members of Wings, Henry McCulloch and the drummer, Danny Sewell, they both quit the band. Just like a day before they're going to fly. Oh, wow. Uh, which meant Paul played the drums on the album and um, played lead guitar and bass and keyboards. But can you imagine Paul's face? Uh, hey, Paul, we, we're leaving the band. We're not going to Nigeria tomorrow. Okay. Yeah. And, Bye. you know, that just speaks to Paul's talent, though, and his commitment to that project, right, that he was able to carry on. Because for a lot of people, that could have been the end. That was it before you, you really even got started, right? Yeah, and he just he and and he just continued on. Now there's, the, here's a little. You might get the bell ready, Tony. Okay. For those living in England, and Europe, and the whole wide world, except for North America, in North America only, they added the song "Helen Wheels." And the reason they did that was because Capital wasn't so sure this album was going to be as big as it was. So they thought, well, "Helen Wheels" had already been a hit. It, it wasn't on any album, so they said, let's include it on Band on the Run against McCartney's wishes. So I have the British pressing and the Canadian pressing, and Helen Wheels is not on the British pressing. So there you go. Oh, I'm ringing the bell. I had my finger ready, so. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, so yeah, and it, you're right. It does speak to Paul's ability to kind of go with the flow, shift gears, and, and the, the concept of professional. He wasn't going to let the two members leaving 
change his plans. But in the end, he came back with a hell of a good album, you know? Oh, absolutely. Now, you know, I think uh, obviously we're talking about the events of December 8th. That's going to be the backdrop for the whole episode today. But we're also going to be talking about December 8th on our radio show, aren't we? So it's time for a, a shameless plug, I think, don't you? Yeah, and and on from Memphis to Merseyside on the radio, we're going to have a couple of tributes to John done by Queen, uh, Roxy Music. Um, so and Elton John, Elton John's "I Love Empty Garden," "Hey Hey Johnny," that's such a beautiful song. And so, folks, if you don't know where to listen to from Memphis to Merseyside, our radio show, you can hear it on Bombshell Radio actually every Thursday evening at eight o'clock p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And we also, once the um, episodes have aired, then we also put up old episodes on our website. We use a streaming service called Mixcloud, and we're able to legally put up the episodes on our website. And the website for that show is memphistomerseyside.com. Now, Aaron, uh, looking at your chart here for the December the 5th, 1973, you've got the top five Canadian singles, and I love the guy who's at number one. I'm just going to tell you, probably not a lot of people know his music, but I love him. But let's go over I, this list. I, I love him too. Um, so this is this was ranked by Billboard, and this is top five Canadian singles, Canadian artists. So I, I want to be clear, like this just wasn't the random top five, but this was what the top five Canadian artists were selling in North America on that day or that week. Number five is the classic by Flood called Cousin Mary. This surprised me at number four because I've never heard this on the radio and I never heard it on the radio in 74, 73. Murray McLaughlin, Hurricane of Change. I love the song, but uh, wow. You know what I think we should do is I think, obviously, I'm sure you'll put that on the Spotify list, but we should uh, put this on the radio edit because we do a radio edit for this show and Hurricane of Change would be would be a great choice on our uh, radio version of this show, don't you think? Oh, let me make a note of that right now. I make a note of it. Ken Tobias, do you remember him? I, 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 I yeah. sure do. Yeah, I do. Number three with Fly Me High. Number two, Lighthouse with Pretty Lady. Can I... Can I just do a little story about Lighthouse for a minute? Yeah, go ahead. In 77, I was 13, my brother took me to see Lighthouse at the CNE Stadium. But guess who they played with? Okay, I'm I'll, I'm stumped who? Evil Knievel. So, really? <laughs> so you got to see Evil Knievel? What was he jumping? Buses or something? He, or? he jumped 13, no, 14 school buses. Oh, my and goodness. They, they had the stage in front of the buses. <laughs> <laughs> Lighthouse came and played for like half an hour. Evil Knievel did his thing, and the Lighthouse came on. And it was one of the, in hindsight, a very bizarre night. <laughs> well, I'm I'm wondering about the demographics at the show. Actually, like, you know, how many people were there for Lighthouse, and how many were there for Knievel? You know what I mean? Well, you could tell by the lineups during Lighthouse at the concession stand. <laughs> 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 but uh, Lighthouse at number two with Pretty Lady. And number one, I, I'm going to be honest with you. I love this man. And Me I too. was fortunate. I, I saw him <clears throat> just about 2018, 2017. He's still amazing. Uh, Ian Thomas. Just love his music. And he's the he's the brother of Dave, right, from SCTV? Yeah, and he actually plays a lot of instruments on the Bob and Doug McKenzie Christmas record, by the way, just for 
dinging bells purpose, but he was number one with a great song, Painted Ladies. Yeah, that is a fantastic song. So I'm sure that'll make the list as well. Now, before we cut to break though, Aaron, I I need to find out because the suspense is killing me. Did uh, Evil Knievel make the jump that night or not? He did. And and then it was right out of a Simpsons. He makes the jump and they bring a microphone over and he says, and now I'm going on the flyer. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know what? That sounds like a great time for a break. And I I told you folks, even though we're paying tribute to John today, lots of laughs here. Uh, So we're going to take a break and we're going to come back on December the 6th, 1966 with another Beatles story. You know, Tony, in England, they had one radio and television service in the 60s called BBC. But that didn't mean that people weren't inventive. And part of the thing that they did in England was they had something called pirate stations. And they got the name because they would literally broadcast on the water outside of a certain area from from England, hence the term pirate stations. And the Beatles, although they were very loyal to the BBC, and they were, they also helped out these pirate stations quite a bit, especially Radio Caroline and Radio London. And this story is a we as a story about what they did for them at Christmas time, right? It absolutely is. And before we go over what the Beatles did, you know, pirate radio played an incredibly important role in the spread of rock and roll in England during the sixties. And, you know, the BBC hated it, but these guys would park just in international waters, <laughs> wouldn't they? They'd be just outside of uh, British water range or whatever you call it. And they would broadcast from there. And these DJs on the pirate radio stations were, were true celebrities. It was, it was pretty crazy. It was very crazy. And they, they broke a lot of records. And when I say broke, I mean, they, they made a lot of bands very huge in the UK. The Who have always said that it was because of them that, um, that uh, the Who made it big. And so it was with the Kinks. I mean, because the BBC, as you say, the BBC had very set hours and they would only play rock and roll. I can't remember. I read somewhere, it's like, was it four hours a week? Yeah, I mean, it, it was, was really, ridiculous. really small. So, I mean, you either relied on Radio Luxembourg or you relied on pirate radio, really. Right. And I'm just reading a book right now about a group called Dead Can Dance, who were an alternative band in the 80s. And they're talking about how it was refreshing for them as young people to see people like the Beatles actually support these alternative stations. And that's what they kind of were. They were the alternative stations of their time, which is pretty cool for a band to size. I mean, that's literally like um, who would be, be Adele sponsoring and, and, and helping out an underground internet station today, which you're not going to see happen. No, but you'll never see that today. <laughs> no. Well, it was a different time, right? And they, and a lot, a lot the, the Beatles were the only ones, I mean, the Stones and, and, and all that. So it's a, it's a, it was a really, and there's a great movie about it too. And I'm trying to think of the name of the film. Oh, it's uh, the movie's called Pirate Radio, I think, isn't it? Is that, that's that's called, yeah, 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 yeah. It's yeah. a good movie, right? Oh, it's a great one. I loved it. Now, you know what? Uh, you said we have some clips of this. I'm going to insert a clip right here of one of the Beatles greetings that they did. And we'll be right back. This is John Lennon saying on behalf of the Beatles, have a very happy Christmas and a good new year. This is Paul McCartney here. I'd just like to wish you everything you wish yourselves for Christmas. 
Harrison speaking. I'd like to take this opportunity of wishing a very Merry Christmas to listeners everywhere. Hello, this is Ringo Starr and I'd just like to say Merry Christmas and a really Happy New Year to all listeners. Isn't that fantastic? That would have been such a blast if you were a teenager, eh? Back in the, in the 60s to hear that, or anybody for that matter. Oh, so fun. I mean, this is, this was a chance for the Beatles to show their humor. And, and so what they did, folks, was they, they recorded Christmas and New Year's greetings just for these radio stations, which, you know, was a huge boost, as Tony said. I mean, can you imagine being a, a teen and switching on and hearing the B? Now, these aren't dissimilar from the Beatles' Christmas records. And, and, and I'm sure some of you may be surprised that the Beatles did Christmas records. Let me quickly explain. If you were a fan and you were a paid-up member of the Beatles fan club, every November you would get sent a flexi-disc, a very, you know, those little flexi-discs. Mm-hmm. The Beatles would record Christmas messages to their fans. And from 63 to 1969, and they evolved over time. They started off by just being thanks for buying all the records to just full-blown Monty Python skits pre-Python. Um, so these are a bit like that, aren't they? Yeah, they are. And, you know, you talk about there, we always talk about this, uh, how engaging the Beatles were. And they understood full well. I mean, of course, sometimes John had a little bit of a cantankerous relationship with the media. But the Beatles, one of the, one of the reasons behind their surge in popularity and and the way that they were able to come out of the gate like they did was because they understood how to use the media to their advantage right they they were friendly they were funny and and the media were all too happy to embrace them i'm i'm sure they didn't want to but they did well how could you get angry at someone who's being so polite and they I, not not unlike Elvis, who I was watching an, a, a press conference with Elvis, and he was very polite, mm-hmm. even when they were doing jabs at him for being, you know, some greaser. He was he never lost his cool. He was very polite, and and the Beatles were too. They would they would just kind of, um, I mean, a couple of the press conferences in '66 after the whole Christ statement got a bit hairy. Yeah, but um, you know, because they were tired of saying sorry. And John, I mean, at one point, he goes, "I've said it." You know, okay, yeah. I'll say well, it again what more if you want me to do? Exactly. But these these Christmas messages for the for the for the pirate stations were were really something special. The Beatles also embraced it by sending the records early for them to play on the. I mean, they, they played Paperback Writer before BBC did, which is, you know, at, at one point the BBC threatened to ban any artist who would send them the records. So the Beatles went, "Okay, ban us." Yeah, exactly. <laughs> go, Aaron, go ahead. Can I go ahead. can I interrupt for a sec? Of course. I'm shocked that the BBC would ban a musician. (laughs) That's a recurring theme on our show, folks. On our old podcast, we did a whole episode about that. (laughs) I I mean, what what are you going to tell me next? You know, I mean, the BBC bans somebody? Oh my gosh. (laughs) Oh, it's a good thing you weren't drinking coffee or something there because you would have spit it out. Because I had a very straight face while I was telling you that. We could see each other. I was watching you. I, I was watching, I was thinking maybe I said something, but <laughs> no, the poor BBC. All right. So back to the story here, folks, but you know, like uh, a little laughter is uh, good for the soul, I think. So we've got the top five UK singles uh, on December the 6th, 1966. And what a chart this is. And, and you can see the difference already, you know, the, the way things are changing, but the fantastic chart. 
They're very bizarre. Yeah. Number five is a man for man, semi-detached suburban Mr. Jones. Okay. I want a t-shirt. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just want a t-shirt. Number four is Val Dunican. Uh, he was big with what would I be? Number three, a very young, very young Stevie Winwood playing with the Spencer Davis group with Give Me Some Lovin'. Yeah, he was a teenager, wasn't he? He was like, like really young. F- 15 or 16, I think, wasn't he? Yep. Yeah, that's a great song. Oh, so good. Number two, my, I'm sure I'm not alone when I say this, one of my favorite Beach Boy songs called Good Vibrations. Which had an, a big influence on the Beatles as well, didn't it? Huge, huge. Uh, especially that little theremin in it. And number one, one of the happiest songs ever written about a man being hung, Tom Jones, Green Green, sorry, Green Green Grass of Home. Um, <laughs> so there you go, folks. And you know, we're not going to uh, be talking about it too much, but before we cut to break, we should just mention uh, that on December the 7th, 1968, just a couple of years later, the White Album was number one in the UK and it was there for seven weeks. So look at the change in the Beatles from 1966 to 1968. I mean, just a complete 180 and, and some of the songs right on, uh, on the white album, dear Prudence, uh, George Harrison's song, while my guitar gently weeps, you really start to see, you start seeing George come into his own. And, and that's, a, I, that always amazes me that the transformation in that group in such a short period of time. I remember when I was a kid, like I was really little when I got into the Beatles and my mom, so I would have been nine years old and I got these albums 62 to 66 and 67 to 70. Yeah, and I literally said, those, yeah. right. And I said to my mom, are these the same band? Like, seriously, this, how can they do while my guitar gently weeps and she loves you. I- <laughs> yeah. And, and the photos on the cover are fantastic because they're standing in the same stairwell, aren't yeah. they? Yeah. And they look, such a- they look totally different. Such a great cover. I love those. I love those compilations. I still listen to those two compilations, Tony. Yeah, they're they're great. So we're going to take a break, and then we're going to be back with uh, December 7th, 2005 story. And this one actually involves John Lennon directly, a famous incident that happened during his lifetime and a, a big discovery. So we'll be right back. Now, this is a great story, and it takes place on December the 7th, 2005. The MBE, which is, that's Member of the British Empire, right, Aaron? That's what that stands for? Yeah. Okay, I mm-hmm. wanted to make sure I got that right. But the Beatles uh, were awarded MBEs by Queen Elizabeth, and John Lennon decided to return his, right? He returned his medal in November 1969, and he wrote a letter to the queen saying, your majesty, I'm returning my MBE as a protest against Britain's involvement in the Nigeria Biafra thing against our support of America and Vietnam and against cold Turkey slipping down the charts with love, (laughs) John Lennon. Oh my gosh. What a, what a great story. And so they found this at a vault, right? In a Royal vault. Yeah. You know, the funny thing is that people return their medals and the Beatles, a lot of people in protest of the Beatles getting the MBE. So when John sent his back, of course, being typically John, he had to make it very funny. And I always thought the the effort thing, <laughs> sort of war. <laughs> I mean, really, John? Uh, and cold turkey sliding down the charts. Which is just, I mean, he might have gotten away with it. 
if he hadn't thrown that little bit in, you know? But, but you know what? I like, still, it, doesn't that note remind you of something, you know, that you write to your, you know, like your spouse or something? Hey, I'm going out, but up, but up, but up. Just a quick note. Love, John. See yeah. ya. <laughs> yeah, it does. Not a lot of formality to it at all. But the fact that they found it after how many years? 60, I, I failed math, 69 to 2005. That's a long time, I mean, yeah. You know, um, the other joke about the whole story, Tony, I don't know if you know this or not, but he had to, his Auntie Mimi, who raised him, and John was in constant contact with Auntie Mimi up until the Sunday before he passed away. He called her every Sunday. She had it on display on her mantle. <laughs> and she, so, so we sent a driver to go get it. And she called him. She goes, John, I'm not giving this back to you. He goes, yeah, Mimi, you are. <laughs> 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 Sorry. <laughs> she was appalled. She was like, John, you can't do this. And he's like, yeah, I can. So anyways. Oh, that's story. a great story. But again, right? That, that sense of humor that he had. But he really, you know, it, it makes total sense though, because- that was in 69. He was pretty big into his activism and, and he just felt like he couldn't keep it. And and I well, love, I love the way that he did it though. He didn't want it to begin with though. Like he, he was the one beetle against the whole thing back in 65. And, and there's, he talks about it where, you know, like he, he thought it was a bit selling out and um, he thought that they were being used by the, the, uh, the government and the monarch and they were they were being used but um i mean now two of the beatles paul and ringo are sir paul and sir richard starkey and apparently mccartney is going to become a lord mayor or something i forget what it is but something oh, is higher it? than a sir yeah oh, when, yeah, when is that going to happen this year uh 2023 yeah wow i mean you can't argue with paul's contributions though to british culture right it's pretty amazing Oh, culture to the world, my friend. Culture to the world. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Now you've got- and He's been banned by the BBC lots of times, you know. Oh, yeah. I knew a couple of times, but has it, has it been more than a few? He got banned for Give Ireland Back to the Irish. Yep, which we talked about on our radio show. Yeah. Hi, hi, hi. Okay. And it's funny, hi, 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 that he got banned, not because of the drug reference, but in the song, he uses the term polygon, and they heard body gun. Really? <laughs> yeah. So, and, and McCarty kind of went, I got this interview, McCarty goes, what the hell's a bodyguard? <laughs> yeah, like, why would I rhyme with that, you know? <laughs> um, then he got banned for a song called Big Boys Bickering in the 90s. So, yeah, he's been banned a few times, our, our Sir Paul, but he's he survived somehow. I don't know how. Well, you know, I, I think uh, Paul will be just fine without the BBC, even if they were to ban him altogether, you know? Well, do you know you know what was released today, Tony, by any chance? Uh, well, you know what? All that's on my mind today is the fact that I took my car to have the winter tires put on and found out that I need a $1,000 brake job. So I haven't checked it. <laughs> I'm, so, I'm so sorry about that. I hate that. I hate that. It's like going to the dentist. I just need a, you know, a checkup. You got to get three fillings. Paul McCartney's released a box set of 80, hear me, 80 seven-inch singles in this beautiful box, wooden box set that was, you know, there's only a thousand handmade box sets and came out today. Did you order one? I, I'm hoping Santa brings it and I'm praying. I didn't order one myself, but I'm hoping that for the next 10 years, I don't get any more Christmas gifts when I get that. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> fingers crossed, fingers crossed. Let's talk chart here. What'd you pick for this chart for 2005? Let's hope it's a good one too. Yeah, it's 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 concerts. I, I like to go to the concert rankings sometimes because they're they tell a tale of what was 
you know, what people are going to, certainly in America, but, you know, worldwide, because a couple of these, I've, I'm going to be honest with you, I've never heard of. So help me out. Number five was Queen and Paul Rogers in Rutherford, New Jersey, uh, 1.2 million. That was in, that was one night. Wow. Uh, number four, have you ever heard of Ednita Naziero? Is there, is there like, yeah, I'm not sure. Is that, is it Nazario? I think that's how you say that, but that yeah. was in Port. Is it Puerto Rico? Was that where that was? Yeah. Puerto Rico. <laughs> Do you like my typing? <laughs> yeah. I'm just looking at Aaron's notes here and it's Puerto Rio. And I'm thinking, I don't know where Puerto Rio is, but I know where Puerto Rico is. I made it up. Uh, <laughs> but I don't know who Ednita Nazario is. No, I have no idea. No. You didn't either. Eh? Okay. No, that, that, well, they did three nights and sold out to the tune of two point two million. Number three is um, well, she's from close to where you live, Tony, Celine Dion. Yep, five nights in Caesar's Palace in Las Vegas. She raised, she earned two point eight million for five concerts. That was a pretty sweet gig for her. That whole residency in in Vegas. Wow, I just never understood why she claps on her arm, not her hands. Could someone explain that to me? Someone, please, anyone. Yeah, I don't just, get it either. I'm not. Could a someone write in? As you can tell, but okay. I'm uh, not either. Uh, number two, although I'll take her over a certain someone who's doing two nights in Toronto, and you turned down tickets, by the way. <laughs> I, I would pay not to see that concert. I think that's what that was my reply, wasn't it? When I texted you back, and then yes. you, you sent me one back saying, I'd pay double that not to see it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not even going to say who, who, who it is. Oh, anybody two, who listens to this show is going to know who we're talking about. <laughs> I, just, I, I had to share that I, I, I'm doing a list on Facebook of my favorite 25 Christmas songs, and Tony put a very funny comment about who he knows won't be on there, and people were actually responding to that, Tony. <laughs> I stirred up the hornet's nest. <laughs> you did. Yeah, I always do. Number two is Vincent Fernandez. Again, not familiar. Six nights in LA at Universal City to the tune of $3.2 million. Wow. I know. And number one, a guy named Paul McCartney. <laughs> <laughs> this is astounding, actually. This two number. nights, two nights in Anaheim, three point five million, and this was in two thousand and five. This wasn't even, oh. you know, with wings, or this was, you know, two thousand five. So, there and you so go. even you know, two thousand and five dollars, you probably would be, I'm, I guess, what four and a half, five million today. You know, nearly oh, twenty yeah. years He's later, a, if not more. And I mean, he just did ten nights, ten shows in L in the states in the summer, and I read that he raised. He earned one hundred and fifty million in total. Wow! Did you did you read the article about he owns the copyright, folks, of a song called "The Christmas Song"? Chestnuts roasting on open fire. He makes fifteen million dollars every year from that song because he owns the publishing rights. That's that's amazing. Wow! Can you imagine, Tony? I gotta go to work. Oh, don't need to. <laughs> <laughs> No, exactly. Uh, well, folks, uh, you know, here we are, we're coming to the end of our show and we promised you that we would try to find the positive in all this. And, you know, despite the fact that this was tragic, what happened on December 8th, 1980, the legacy that John Lennon left behind uh, will be with us forever. And, you know, still, I, uh, when I went on band tours to New York City, a lot of the kids, they told me it was always their favorite thing, going to Strawberry Fields and, you know, seeing the Imagine mosaic that's there. And they, it just, it still has a hold on us, John Lennon's story, doesn't it? Yeah, it, it's, I, I was 
you know, said to Andrea last night, we were listening to our show from Memphis to Mersey side on the radio, Andrew and I, and we played Starting Over. And I started to cry because I still remember it just brings it all back. And that was a horrible, I was in high school and um, you're right. It has a hold on us. And I've been to the strawberry fields and you can see the Dakota building. Mm -hmm. Um, And you, you, my friend, missed Yoko by mere moments, right? Yeah. uh, Supposedly less than two minutes. Like she had just walked by and uh, I just missed her, which which was too bad. But, uh, you know, back then, she wouldn't have known who I was, but now she'd be like, Hey, you're the way back music machine podcast guy. (laughs) I know you. I I recognize the voice. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. It was, it's, it's, it's good to remember the, the positive impact Lennon had. I mean, he was one of the first artists to to talk uh, openly about peace and protest. And um, I mean, there's protesting as prior to him, but he really put his money where his mouth is with the bed-ins and all that kind of stuff. And uh, there's a lot to admire the man for. So I, I focus on, as you put it, his legacy and his music, which, you know, imagine will be with us absolutely forever. You know, Yeah, I, I'm 100% in agreement with you. So folks, here we are at the end of the show. As always, we'd like to thank you for allowing us into your headphones for another week. Our music today was provided by Rick Denis. And this is an M2M production recorded here at the bunker in perth ontario don't forget that one of the best things you can do for an independent podcast like ours is help us spread the word by sharing a post or telling a friend saying you know what i think you might like this show that goes such a long way there's nothing better than word of mouth and we always appreciate when you do and keep sending us messages we love that as well so folks until next time, Aaron, when that man is getting you down, what should you do? Send back your MBE. No, no. Um, keep on rocking, because that's basically it. We'll see you next time, folks. <laughs>